Welcome to We've Got Issues. I'm Joshua Holland. Um, this week, we're going to do things just a little bit differently. We're going to speak at length with Devin Burkhart. He's the executive director of the Institute for um, Research and Education on Human Rights. And we're going to talk to him about a powder keg of wing nuttery developing in the Plains States and the Pacific Northwest. Um, there is a movement. It is led by Amon Bundy. Uh, that counts perhaps tens of thousands of potentially violent adherents. And we're going to look at how a water rights issue, a somewhat obscure water rights issue in um, southeastern Oregon, maybe Bundy's next standoff with the federal government may provide a kind of flashpoint. Um, but first, a couple of stories on my radar this week. The first is a really weird one out of Florida. That is to say, it's kind of weird even for Florida. Um, maybe you saw this. Politico reports, and I quote, a little-known GOP candidate in one of Florida's most competitive congressional seats was secretly recorded threatening to send a Russian and Ukrainian hit squad to a fellow Republican opponent to make her disappear. You know, it's uh, is it Elmore Leonard? Is it Carl Hyacin? It's a Florida thing, for sure. Um, the story goes on during a 30-minute call with a conservative activist that was recorded before he became a candidate. William Braddock repeatedly warned the activist to not support GOP candidate Anna Paulina Luna in the Republican primary because he had access to assassins. So he was saying, don't hang around this woman, this Republican, this fellow Republican, because, you know, you don't want to get caught in the crossfire. And he, he actually said at one point on this phone call, you know, I know you have children. I don't want you to hang around. Quote, I really don't want to have to end anybody's life for the good of the people of the United States of America, Braddock said at one point in the conversation. That will break my heart. But if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. It's a hell of a, hell of a political party over there. Braddock naturally claimed that the story was a smear, a hit job, as um, as they always, as always, always, always do. Always. Political smear, hit job. Um, he neither confirmed nor denied that it was his voice on the record, recording, but he kind of implied that, you know, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was doctored. This is an obscure candidate in a crowded uh, primary. So, Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he ordered Florida law enforcement to help with the border crisis. He did not specify which border or which crisis. And of course, Florida only borders on Alabama and Georgia. If there's a crisis, I would guess that it is, um, it's on the border with Georgia. And I'll tell you why, because I've driven that, that area before. And there's, there's a lot of congestion. There's a lot of Canadian drivers and I'm not gonna, I don't want to get in trouble, but you know, Floridians, they have, uh, famously they have a canadian driving problem and so georgia is that should be on that route you know so i think that's anyway um desantis is uh, really embracing the culture war nonsense probably with a presidential run in mind if trump doesn't freeze out the gop field um he issued a pardon this week for idiots who defied covid restrictions and of course he signed that law barring cruise ship operators from requiring vaccinations. And um, there was a poll out this week that found like overwhelming majorities of Floridians are like, definitely let cruise ship operators require everybody be vaccinated. 
but uh, he's, you know, he's playing to the base. A few weeks ago, he also signed a crackpot bill that would bar social media companies from kicking politicians off their platforms for disinformation, for spreading bullshit about elections or COVID. Um, that law has no chance of withstanding court challenges. Um, so the good people in Florida will end up paying uh, the ACLU's lawyers or whatever group wins that case. But it doesn't matter because it's the headline is what matters. It's fodder for Fox News hits. Right. And the bill hilariously exempted social media companies whose parent companies own theme parks. Because <laughs> right? Florida. Uh, not to be outdone, Texas Governor Greg Abbott this week signed a law allowing anyone to carry a gun without any training or licensing or anything, right? And, you know, wingnuts are always like, yeah, you know, if you if if guns are so dangerous, like, why don't you ban cars? Well, you know, you, you require people to know how to drive. You require people to have a driver's license before they get behind the wheel of a car. And it's noteworthy that the, um, you know, that the socialist gun grabbers in Texas law enforcement circles opposed this bill. Basically every sane person in Texas did because, you know, you've got to trust, you've got to trust that that weird guy, you know, walking around with a gun, um, doesn't have a long history of violent insanity and isn't there to shoot the place up. Abbott also announced that he was spending $250 million on a down payment to build Trump's stupid border wall. But he's asking donors to kick in the rest. He's basically just doing a a GoFundMe, which is just such a beautiful illustration of um, both anti-governmentalism and and bad government governance. I mean, it's just this is all happening as Texas power grid. Uh, is once again teetering on the brink of collapse. It's all a giant clusterfuck. And there's a bunch of governors like this um, doing similar stuff. There's, the, of course, the absolutely mind-bogglingly stupid moral panic over uh, critical race theory. And what's going on here is that the, the GOP... So in the GOP, right, Trump showed the party establishment that they have, I don't know if no choice is the right way to put it, but that they have to lean all the way into the culture wars if they want to turn out those Trump voters. They want to appeal to those, some some of them irregular Trump voters, lean all the way into the culture wars. Um, he taught them that their voters do not give a shit about policy. They don't care about uh, containing Russia or projecting American power or balancing budgets or limiting government. They want politicians who will own the libs and tell them that they aren't like like backwards losers who are fear, fearful of... Uh, well, of modernity, basically. And most of all, um, they want them to punish their enemies. That's it, right? Um, it isn't sustainable, but it is where we are at, as a country right now. And, um, you know, it may be sustainable over the medium term, thanks to 
of voter suppression and gerrymandering and all of that, thanks to the right's efforts to uh, lock in minority rule. Not sustainable in the long run, though. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and um, come right back with Devin Burkhardt. Stay tuned. Welcome back. I'm still Joshua Holland. You know, if there's one thing that the January 6th terror attack on the Capitol taught us, it's that we have to take the emerging threat of fascism seriously. We have an emboldened neo-fascist movement in this country, and it has taken over, you know, a, a broad swath of one of our major political parties. Another lesson is that we can't ignore warnings of impending violence by extremists. Um, I'm joined now by Devin Berghardt to talk about a blaring siren, a blaring warning coming out of um, the Pacific Northwest, uh, Pacific West, and also the Plains. Devin is the president and executive director of the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights, and he is, his colleagues have been tracking the rise of a group called People's Rights, which is headed by Amon Bundy, who led the 2016 occupation of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. Um, there was a, you'll recall, weeks-long standoff with federal law enforcement, and that took place two years after his father, Clive and Bundy, held off the feds in a similar confrontation in um, Nevada over his refusal to pay the government uh, grazing fees for his cattle. Devin, welcome to We've Got Issues. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to uh, 
give us the heads up on what's going on. Can we begin by kind of setting the scene? What is the Klamath Basin conflict centered on? And who are the players aside from Amon Bundy, who actually lives in Idaho? Well, down on the Klamath Basin, uh, it's an area that extends in Southern Oregon and into Northern California. Um, the conflict right now is essentially around water uh, or the lack thereof. Um, the region has been struck by an historic drought. And as a result, um, authorities in the Klamath Basin have decided uh, not to allow all the water to run through some of the irrigation canals that usually feed agriculture down there. Um, and it's created a pretty tense situation for farmers and for others. I think one of the big challenges about this story is that it's often framed especially by groups like People's Rights, as this conflict between farmers versus fish. But in reality, what it is, is a conflict between farmers and drought and the current problems that are being associated with climate change. Um, so this artificial narrative that they're trying to inject into an already difficult situation has kind of toxified the debate and discussion around real solutions to a problem that you know real folks down there are facing. Now, to the degree that it is about fish, it's not really about fish so much as it is about um, Native American tribal rights to fisheries. Is that right? That's exactly right. You know, that's the other part of it. Rather than it being about farmers versus fish, it's really about um, it's really about the far right versus these fantasies that they have about their rights uh, and their inability to acknowledge you know, the importance of treaty rights and tribal sovereignty and the kind of issues that are being faced amongst, you know, a number of tribes down there, including the Turok, the Klamath and others uh, who are seeing threats to their uh, historic uh, tribal fishing rights uh, that are being impacted as the water decreases and the salmon runs are being adversely and dramatically impacted by that. They're also seeing kind of the rise of diseases and other things that are infecting uh, the fishing rights that have been granted to them from time immemorial. Right, right. And I mean, to what degree, if any, is this actually an or like an organized effort to unravel um, those longstanding Native American treaty rights? Is that just a, a kind of a side effect or is that a a goal of some of these people who are stirring up this conflict on the right? Well, at least for Bundy's group, it's been baked into the mix from day one. Uh, Bundy and his group and people's rights have long associated with folks in the kind of organized anti-Indian movement. Uh, you know, for instance, at their little camp they have set up next to the headwaters in Klamath Falls, uh, the place where they control water inflow to the one of the major canals down there. Um, last Thursday, they had a speaker, um, Debbie Bakachalupi, who happens to be involved in spreading uh, anti-environmental conspiracy theories like the so-called Agenda 21 conspiracy and lots of conspiracies around um, treaty rights and tribal sovereignty and has worked closely with anti-Indian organizations like the Citizens Equal Rights Alliance and the Citizens Equal Rights Foundation um, to promote these kind of ideas that have sought to erode treaty rights and tribal sovereignty in the public, uh, in the courts and elsewhere. Can you describe what this encampment that has grown around the floodgates 
So there's a canal system, right? An irrigation canal system. And then there is a, I'm trying to kind of get my head around what it actually looks like. There's, there's a floodgate, there's a locked um, uh, mechanism for opening and closing that floodgates. Just kind of describe what this all looks like. Um, actually, in anticipation for some kind of action, uh, the authorities down there have put concrete uh, barriers in front of the the access points to the canal headway. Because back in 2001, enraged farmers during another drought, including some of the same people involved in this current round of demonstrations, actually broke through the barricades and uh, opened up the canal headwaters and let water flow. Um, so this isn't like it's a new idea down there. It occurred back in 20, 2001. Uh, it nearly occurred back in 2013, 2014. Uh, and now the folks um, associated with Bundy's group, including two farmers down there, um, Dan Nielsen and Grant Knoll, uh, recently purchased a little slice of property right next to the headway. Um, a little slice there that they've erected and um, I think it's quite apropos a bright um, white and uh, red striped circus tent like facility um, that they hold regular meetings down there where they gather to have a variety of conspiracy theorists and other far-right agitators come and participate in kind of attempting to build out a base of support for if and when they decide to, you know, breach the chain link fence and try to reopen the headway. Now, this area, we're talking about Southern Oregon, um, Southeast of the state, it's very rural, it, it leans conservative. But in my reading on the standoff, uh, you know, just to prep for the interview, I got the sense that a lot of the people who might be sympathetic to the irrigators or to the to the farmers or people who rely on the irrigation themselves um, are not necessarily pleased with the prospect of a potentially violent standoff with the feds. Is that your read? Yeah, that's our understanding. You know, in the, in the conversations that we've had with folks down there from, from farmers to, you know, folks who live in, in the entire region, uh, you know, there's pretty unanimous uh, consent that they don't want Ammon Bundy to be involved in this because it makes it impossible to find actual solutions to what's going on. It also makes it harder to do things like lobby for federal funds for, you know, kind of disaster relief and everything else when you have a, an armed standoff looming in the, you know, in the near future. Um, it's been a, a real challenge for folks down there and they think it's problematic. That said, People's Rights themselves has built out a small army across the state uh, of Oregon um, that they can mobilize on, on a short term to come to Klamath Falls to participate in this. Um, not only do they have over 5,000 members now that we've been able to document, um, which makes them one of the largest state presences uh, for people's rights in the country, um, but people's rights has also built out a pretty sizable national network when the Institute and the Montana Human Rights Network released a report on people's rights back in October of last year, um, they'd built out networks in 16 states and had about 22,000 active members. Right now that's grown to 21 states and somewhere between 32 and 35,000 people who are you know, involved in Bundy's network and could be mobilized 
um, to participate in this kind of armed standoff. So it's, uh, you know, it, in many ways, it's an order of magnitude larger uh, potentially than the standoff we saw at Malheur or at Bunkerville. Yeah. Now, the fundamental problem, as you said, the, you know, the root problem here is this severe drought. Um, but my understanding, and Emma Maris recently wrote about this in The Atlantic, is that if the, if the various stakeholders involved in this, if they were to work cooperatively and not take maximalist positions, the problems associated with this drought could be addressed. Is, is that your view? I think so too. Yeah, I think Emma makes a really important point. Uh, and I think there are efforts to try to find some accommodation to it. Um, it, however, has been inundated with these kind of maximalist positions like uh, Bundy's group and some of the, you know, some of the farmers and irrigators uh, who are trying to push uh, this more extreme position. Uh, and as a result, you're finding very little room for cooperation. And then when you add that on, on top of that, the, the effort by some in people's rights to bring in kind of anti-Indian uh, demon, uh, anti dehumanization and conspiracy theories, it's made it even harder to kind of find the opportunity to get everyone around the table to have the conversations necessary to find the solutions that we need to big problems like this. Yeah, and as a result, it, it definitely seems like everyone expects violence to break out at any moment. I mean, that's, that is the, everything I read, people are like, yes, it's just, a, it's at a boiling point and, and people expect this to escalate. And it's almost a question of uh, when and not if, and I, I guess a question that I had during the, the Bundy Ranch and Malheur standoffs and here again is, uh, you know, there, there's a trade-off here. You know, the feds are not coming in in force to establish that uh, these people are subject to the laws of the United States because they want to avoid bloodshed. And I absolutely get that. But at the same time, it seems like letting these guys get away with this behavior encourages more of it. I, I wanted to know what your thought of that balance is. Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. I think the more um, that we let them off the hook for violating laws and pushing these norms, the more emboldened they become and the more willing they are to engage in far more confrontational and dangerous activities. I mean, that's certainly true of people's rights writ large and is kind of baked into their framework. The organization started in the midst of the pandemic, flouting COVID-19 health restrictions, um, pushing back against efforts to control the vaccine, invading state houses, threatening doctors and nurses, breaking into hospitals to try to prevent people from getting COVID-19 tests. Um, prevent, trying to prevent um, the vaccine being distributed. Um, all of those things have emboldened them, and it is the confrontational nature of their politics um, that they engage in as part of a way to encourage more people to join them. They look forward to the attention. They look forward to getting away with it. Uh, and they look forward to the successes that they've had in doing so. That's what's allowed them to grow from a 
handful of people, you know, disobeying a stay-at-home order in, you know, in rural Idaho to now a, an army of over 30,000 people around the country. This is um, scary stuff that people, again, need to really uh, just keep keep focused on. This is, you know, it's related to the insurrection we saw. It's related to um, a, a lot of the conspiracism around QAnon. And it's a theme that we've seen consistently over the past year and a half with the anti-mask or anti-lockdown movement or whatever you want to call it, serving as kind of a gateway drug for um, insurrectionist rhetoric on the far right for, uh, again, QAnon and all of these, you know, Pizzagate, all that stuff. Um, NPR did a story, a heartbreaking story, really, a couple of weeks ago about how local public health officials have faced such a barrage of death threats and harassment that many of them have just given up and left the field of public health entirely. Like we've seen the biggest exodus of local public health officials in history driven by these maniacs. And Amon Bundy and others within this movement have made it very clear that they think um, political violence is a legitimate means of achieving their ends. They see those as just ends and harassing local officials has become a central part of that strategy. As, as you say, Devin, it's like there's this um, troll nation kind of strategy where you you are you get attention via social media, you get away with it, and then you push it a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And in Idaho, where uh, Amon Bundy is also running for governor, perhaps, I don't even know if that's a real campaign or uh, just an attention getting thing, um, you're seeing Republicans targeted at their homes by his group. They're protesting outside of Republicans' homes and Republicans have been speaking out about this. Now, your group, which listeners can and should check out at, um, what's the URL? IREHR.org. IREHR.org unearthed a kind of an organizational blueprint for insurrection in Oregon. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, the People's Rights Network in the state of Oregon is divided up into a number of local, uh, smaller regional groups. And one of them, the fifth area, one of the largest in the state, has developed what they consider kind of a blueprint for carrying out this level of insurrection at the local level um, over and over again against any issues that you might see uh, that they might disagree with. Um, they developed... Um, you know, a kind of paramilitary wing uh, that includes engaging in weapons training and preparations for conflict. Um, they've developed out the necessity for um, a rapid response network of individuals who will come to the aid of folks who want to engage in this conflict and be there um, to further embolden uh, these actions. Um, they've essentially sought to kind of modernize the old school version of far right paramilitary groups like the Posse Comitatus of the 1970s and 1980s um, and done so by fusing together, you know, a whole variety of different far right constituencies. So now you have under this blueprint, um, COVID insurrectionists, uh, anti-vaxxers, QAnon types, uh, far-right paramilitaries, and even out-and-out out white nationalists, all under the same umbrella, all working 
uh, in a strategy that some inside the movement have referred to as an Uber-like militia, where they could call up a group of armed protesters at a moment's notice um, to appear at any type of conflict uh, and you know attempt to intercede and get their way. It's really all part of um, their ideological construct, which is what we refer to as a kind of middle American neighborhood nationalism because Bundy's group is really focused on kind of building out local clans or group groupings of people at the local area um, to protect and defend their, what they conceive are their rights. Um, you know, in essence, everyone else's rights be damned. Um, and, you know, they do so, and they look at it as a, fr in a framework that um, posits that they're the right righteous versus the wicked and they will be the ones to enforce their kind of uh, unique interpretation of the constitution on the wicked uh, and they'll be the judge juries and executioners of those folks um, given bundy's most recent turn to more uh, exterminationist type language uh, for instance, he's got a new video out where he is walking through his apple orchard and he essentially compares his opponents uh, to a fungus on his trees that need to be eradicated. Um, you know, that level of confrontational politics combined with the far right paramilitary structure that they built up combined with that eliminationist rhetoric means that we've got a really volatile situation on our hands, not only in the Klamath Basin, but potentially anywhere around the country where they've got activists. Um, <clears throat> this is in part uh, connected to the secessionist movement in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I believe it's five counties that want to join Idaho. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's actually seven counties now Seven counties in, in Oregon who have voted to have their county commissioners at least consider the idea of leaving the state of Idaho or leaving the state of Oregon and joining up with the state of Idaho. Uh, it's the so-called greater Idaho movement. Um, there are also members within people's rights who have, are running a parallel campaign to create the state of Greater Oregon, uh, of Eastern Oregon to split the state in two, essentially. You know, it mirrors efforts that we've had here in Washington state to try to divide our state into two uh, and to really cleave off part of the state uh, to create their own little kind of secessionist enclave. It's a tradition we've had running for a long time. And some of the activists that are involved down in the Klamath Basin now have a long history going back to the uh, earlier in the decade when there were efforts to cleave off part of Oregon and California into a so-called state of Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of this, all of this comes down to uh, you know, the results of, of having uh, people being radicalized online, people being radicalized by the trauma of a pandemic to join longstanding militia movements, you know, things that have dated back quite a while. The Really at the heart of it is a belief in the fundamental illegitimacy of uh, small democratic and large D democratic governance. 
um, you know, that that's really the, the soil from which all of these movements spring. The idea that, you know, we live in Oregon, it's a blue state, we reject that. We reject that, we won't accept that. We won't accept um, <clears throat> respecting tribal treaties that have been going on for a long time. We won't accept that Donald Trump, the most unpopular president in the modern polling era, lost an election. We don't accept this. And, and that, that dates back quite a while. I mean, that's um, really not, not new, that sense that, um, you know, small d democracy results in uh, an infringement on, on the rights of, of people like Ammon Bundy. And uh, it's, it's becoming a very, very dangerous and unstable and volatile situation in this country. Anyway, um, listeners can check out, there's three reports about this, I believe, at IREHR. Dot org, dot org. Uh, Devin Burkhardt, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I really do appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. I'd also like to thank David Edwards, our producer and engineer. I'd like to thank the good folks at Raw Story and Alternate for supporting the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joshua Hall, and you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, I would like to thank all of you fine and discriminating people for tuning in. Have a terrific week. Cecilia you're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. Oh, Cecilia, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you, please, won't you come on home? Come on home. Making love in the afternoon with Cecilia. Up in my bedroom I got up To wash my face When I come back to bed Somebody's taking my place Oh, Cecilia You're breaking my heart You're shaking my confidence